Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Anything that is worth doing is worth doing as best we possibly can to the glory of God. But you also know that anything that is worth doing and worth doing to the glory of God is going to take effort, it's going to take prayer, it's going to take time, and sometimes we're going to fail and fall, but we're going to move forward. Marriage is a good thing. The Bible says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from or of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22. Now, certainly it must be said that being married is not a requirement for people in order to be faithful to the Lord. We understand that. Many faithful people, including our Lord Himself, did not have an earthly marriage. Paul was often cited as another who was faithful to God, very faithful to God, despite remaining single for his entire life. And there are many others we could look at throughout the pages of Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But that said, we must at times preach on the subject of marriage in the home because the Bible so often addresses it. And because it was God's creation. God, of course, performed the first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden when He brought Adam and Eve together for the first time. And at that point and throughout all of history, God has regulated marriage, His wonderful creation. We live in a time when marriage is viewed in so many negative, even apathetic ways. It's just something we do if living together works out. It's patriarchal. It's overbearing. It's an outdated vestige of some ancient time. It's nothing more than just a social tradition. It's something we get to govern and we get to define, or yes, in our time, we get to redefine. And yes, for some, I even read something even today, who suggested marriage is downright evil because it presses against the way we are meant to be, they said, even free, uninhibited by rules and boundaries. But tonight, since our one word for this week is the word marriage, I have one goal. And that goal is not to try to give, you know, five tips for a better marriage or anything along those lines. Instead, in reality, we're going to turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to have one goal, and that is to try to see marriage as God defined it in His eyes. We must get one thing right if we're going to have the best marriage as we can, or for those who might not be married, if we're going to support marriage as we, best we can in the ways that God would have it to be done. And then hopefully with this lesson in your minds, as you go through the devotional books this week, I hope you'll enjoy the lessons that were written by our friend, our neighbor, in some cases our relative, Brother Ted Burleson, who preaches at Hamilton. But I want us to turn back to that well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to examine one specific part of it for the most of our time. If we can grasp literally one concept From this section of Scripture, our view of marriage, whether we're married, whether we never desired a marriage, or married, or whether we have a desire one of these days to be married, our view will improve. But if we are married, both husband and wife, if they will grasp this one concept, there will be a true foundation 
upon which a good and godly marriage can be built. We're making one point, but we're building to it on three foundations. And it's something found in Ephesians 5. The first thing Paul says is that marriage is a mystery. Now, some in our culture would say, that's the only thing I can agree with. You better believe marriage is a mystery. You should see who I'm married to. We, we understand that's not what Paul is talking about. When you come to Ephesians chapter 5, and we read from verse 22 all the way through the end of that chapter, we find that ideal picture of marriage. A husband is to love his wife the way Christ loved the church, even to the point of being sacrificial. A wife is to submit to her husband as the church does to Christ, is told to respect or is Reese read a few moments ago to reverence her husband. And all of that we understand in this room, but in our culture that sounds so far-fetched, so just out there. But in fact, if we were to change the context, the only phrase that some people would recognize from Ephesians 5.32 and agree with is that one. This mystery is profound. But there is no doubt that marriage is a mystery. One writer said it well. Marriage is glorious but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats, and exhausting victories. Now, obviously, Paul, that's not what Paul was talking about, the way we use mystery so often. He wasn't saying that we're to be puzzled by marriage in that way. Instead, when Paul said that marriage is a mystery, he was talking about the way they would have used that term. Some translations, by the way, use the word secret. And the idea is it's something that that has a key to it, something that was hidden or was secret, but there's a key to unlocking the secret. If you want to think of it this way, there's a key to unveiling that mystery. Now, before we go on, think just for a moment, because we've already read the verses, we know what that key is. Paul, in part, was saying, in essence, that people had been married for all of these centuries, all the way back to the Garden of Eden throughout Old Testament times, and yet there was still something mysterious, still something hidden, secretive, if you will, about marriage. We'll come back to that thought in just a second. But further, by implication, we need to get this in our heads. If we don't understand this mystery that Paul is writing about in this passage, We cannot truly understand marriage in the way God would have us to. And if that's the case, listen to me carefully. We will not even truly understand our own marriages in the way God would have us to if we don't grasp that mystery. Marriage is a mystery, but we need to be thankful that build upon that foundation that marriage is a mystery that has been revealed in the same way that I hope the next slide will be revealed eventually. Caleb, can you hit that for me, please? My PowerPoint thing's not working. Marriage is a mystery that has been revealed. That would not be the slide I want. <laughs> if, there's, if there was only that first phrase in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, there is a mystery, we could be extremely frustrated. If Paul just put out there, marriage is a mystery, and then didn't tell us what the unveiling was, we could be upset, we could be confused, befuddled. But Paul went on, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know, we might say it this way. The key has been found. How can two become one? It's one of the great mysteries, is it not? How can marriage really work, we often say, especially in the eyes of God? Listen to the words of Brother Wayne Jackson. He's writing about this verse. 
He said the mystery is how two can become one in this God-ordained relationship. And the higher application is the wonderful relationship between the Lord and His people. We might change that last word to say the Lord and His church. I love that people want good marriages. I want people to have a good marriage. I want to have a good marriage. But Paul was making it clear that we will not have as good a marriage as we could have until we deeply appreciate and understand the relationship between Christ and His church. Now again, think with me for a moment. Were there some good marriages in Old Testament times? Of course there were. But when we see those good marriages that are presented to us in the Old Testament, they make us want to see more, do they not? And the goodness of those marriages points forward to something that was perfect. The perfect marriage between Christ and His bride, the church. In my Sunday morning Bible class, we're surveying the Bible. And several weeks ago, we surveyed the book of the Song of Solomon. Obviously a very powerful and a very emotional book that celebrates the joy of married love. But I find it very interesting that a lot of people throughout the years have argued about the real meaning of that book. And they say that there's no way that book can mean what it looks like it means. This is in the Bible after all. But what's interesting is the way they then go is say, well, what that book means is it's, it's an allegory. It's sort of a parable talking about the love of God and His people. And others even suggest... It's looking forward to the love between Christ and His church. By the way, that's where a couple of our songs that we sing from time to time come from. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. How's the song continue? He's the lily of the valley. Where's that, that verse come from? Song of Solomon. Jesus, rose of Sharon. Guess where that comes from? Song of Because some have suggested that that book means the relationship between God and His people or Christ and His church looking forward. Now, I'm not here to argue whether or not that's what that book means. I don't believe it is. I think that book is talking about the love, the the extreme depth of love between a husband and his wife. But is that not telling that that's what people would think about as, as that deepest, strongest attachment is Christ and His church? What does that mean for our lives. If you're married, it means that our only reading does not need to be those books and articles about 10 ways to improve your marriage. Oh, those are fine. They're helpful from time to time. But folks, I'll give you a one-step process for marriage improvement. It doesn't happen overnight, but a one-step process. You want to know what it is? Both husband and wife prayerfully and passionately study how much Jesus loved His church and are willing to act the same way. That's the one-step process. There's other things that help us from time to time. But if both husband and wife are committed to that, the marriage will improve over time. For young people or those who are not married yet would like to be married one of these days, it means that you need to see marriage as God intended it to be, not as the world presents it. Even a lot of Christians so often joke about marriage and act as if it's just something we're here to endure. Folks, that's not God's intention in the least. God's intention is for husband and wife to understand the full picture of marriage because we already have the perfect portrait before us, Jesus and His bride, the church. For those who are not married and do not wish to be married any of these days, please support God's view of marriage. Please don't buy into society's views or become bitter when there are sermons about marriage and say, well, I'm not married and I plan on being married. We don't need to hear about that anymore. Understand, please, that marriage is difficult and we need to continue to think about it and support what God would have to say about it. 
Folks, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that we need to be grateful that we live on this side of the cross is because we have that perfect portrait of what marriage is supposed to look like in Christ and the church. That's not the only reason we should be grateful, but it certainly should be one of them. The mystery has been revealed. And so with that as the back of our mind, we sort of built this foundation that marriage is a mystery, but thankfully because of the times in which we live, marriage is a mystery that has been revealed. And so with that in mind, here's our one point. Marriage is vertical before it is horizontal. As a culture, I think it is safe to say we almost always make marriage only about human beings, about ourselves, about the couple. Sometimes, tragically, it's all about me. People sometimes get married because of what I can get out of it. I I want the status of being married, or I want somebody who makes me feel good. And sometimes, I may say so, sometimes marriage is even lower to the point that, that I want nothing more than just a sexual partner. Some marry for money. Now, obviously, we understand that selfishness is wrong, but there are still some who, if you really boil down the reasons they get married, it will be all self-centered, all about what I can get out of this. But there's also a side of that coin that can be not as dangerous, but just as flawed. And that is when all I think about is just the human side of things. I just want my soulmate. And I'll watch 427 movies about finding my soulmate. And oh, how wonderful that is when I finally find my soulmate. Oh, and I can't... Drives me bananas, chick flicks. Um, We're fed this constant message that there's this one out there. Now, I'm not saying that there should be a lack of a kindred spirit. It's wonderful when husband and wife have activities or interests together. But folks, sometimes we build up this concept, the other person has to be the perfect human being, and we forget the vows we make. Things like in sickness and in health, when that sickness takes away those looks or takes away some of the energy and excitement for richer or for poorer, and what happens when that money is no longer there? And on and on it goes. I'm not saying we shouldn't look for someone who's physically attractive or who enjoys certain, not, not at all. But when we remember that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and His church, that changes everything. We need to develop a hunger and a thirst for our Lord that our search for Him leads us to the one that we are to marry. Because when we find our Lord and we're looking for marriage, we will find someone else who's searching for Him first as well. If the mystery of marriage is an understanding of Christ's relationship in the church, we must then focus on what Christ did for the church. And again, Paul reminds us of that in this very same text. Back up in verse 25, you remember that phrase, and gave himself up for her. But that's not the only time Paul talked about how Christ's love was not self-centered in the least. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 15, the first three verses. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, I know that those verses are not talking about marriage specifically. I understand that completely. But the mind of Christ is the, the center point of those verses. Christ did not come here to please himself. He took whatever came, including reproach, in order to fulfill the mission. 
Probably more famously, the verse is found in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, where the Christians at Philippi were told, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we know that passage very well. Most of us do. But do we ever consider that passage sort of pulling it from its context slightly as a standard for our homes? I think a writer named G.W. Knight said it very well. He said, Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage, he already had Christ and the church in mind. This is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. End quote. So, So what's my point? Well, the point is simply this. If you want the best marriage you possibly can have, or if you want to support godly marriages, look vertically first and then look horizontally. Take the time to appreciate and understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for his bride, the church, and then begin to mold yourself after his image. Let me suggest to you, that's not weakness at all. It's strength because strength comes through sacrifice. It's not humiliation. Instead, it's humility because of the honor of sacrificing for something greater than yourself. But it also is absolutely nothing like what our culture would have us to do. Our culture would tell you, build yourself up, look for somebody else who's built himself or herself up so you can be just so impressed with each other that you can't wait to get married to that gussied up, overachieving other person. Instead, may I suggest, become one and look for one who puts others before himself or herself. Look for one who has a deep and intimate relationship of the understanding of the sacrifice of Christ and make sure you're living out that sacrifice as well. And when you do that, you will know what it means to be married the way God intended for it to be. This is a lengthy paragraph, and I want you to listen to it carefully. Some of it will be on the screens in a moment, but I didn't want to put it all up there so it be 10,000 words on the screen. It's a book called The Meaning of Marriage where the writer said this, So what do you need to make your marriage work? You need to know the secret, the gospel, and how it gives you both the power and the pattern for your marriage. On the one hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. It will drive you further into reliance on it. On the other hand, a greater understanding of the gospel will help you experience deeper and deeper union with each other as the years go on. Now, some people are probably sitting there thinking, I would expect the preacher to say something like that. I would expect the preacher to turn a, me- a message on marriage into something about, about Jesus, about the cross, about the church. And I understand that. I understand the pushback. After all, we are fed a regular, ongoing diet in our culture of something very, very different. We are filled with the message that marriage is something that culture defines, culture constructs, culture deconstructs, culture defines, culture redefines, and culture even does away with if it so chooses. We decided long ago as a culture that marriage is about making me happy, but have you noticed that as we've bought into that mindset, we keep having to change the definitions and the expectations of what's supposed to make me happy. And all the while, Scripture has been clear and unchanging. 
Marriage is fulfilling and marriage is wonderful when it is one man with one woman for a lifetime of living to honor God and being like the Son, Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, that's been the answer. And as long as the world stands, that will continue to be the answer because that message is a part of the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. Jude in verse 3. It has been a secret. It was a secret, a mystery. But we need to praise God that it isn't really a secret at all. Because that veil has been lifted. The key has been used. The secret has been revealed. If we will just look for it and live it out. Yes, there will still be bad days. Because we live in a world that's tainted by sin and by pain. There will still be difficult seasons because of our own sin at times, our own shortcomings, our, our simple failings, or simply because we live in a world that's fallen with the effects of sin all around us. But God's plan is still God's plan, and as such, it will always be the perfect plan. Marriage is wonderful when both husband and wife live it out in God's way. Yes, it takes work, and yes, it takes sacrifice, but the blessings we gain are innumerable because God's ways are always the best. A young man went to a preacher to meet with him one time, and maybe he was a little arrogant, I don't know. But he came to the preacher and he said, I've got something I need to ask you about. I don't know if it's a confession or not, but something I'd let you know. And the preacher said, what's going on? And he said, I don't really know any other way to say it except, I think I love my wife too much. And the preacher thought for a second, that I have never heard that before in my life, really. He said, I think I love my wife too much. And the preacher thought for a second. And he said, may I, may I ask you an honest question? He said, sure. He said, do you, can you honestly say that you love your wife more than Jesus loved the church? And the young man thought for a second, and he said, no, I, I understand that question. No I, I, no, I don't. I can honestly say I don't love my wife more than Jesus loved the church. And the preacher, with the wisdom of the ages, looked at him and said, Then you don't love her too much. Because that's not only what we can do. It's what we must do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let a wife see that she respect, honor, reverence her husband. There's all kinds of articles you can read, all kinds of web pages you can go to, magazines you can buy, TV shows you can watch, and so on and so forth. They'll tell you, here's five tips, ten tips, 25 tips, 100 tips to help your marriage. And they're good. They're fine. They're helpful. And from time to time, Lee and I both have been asked to speak on marriage seminars and things and asked to give lessons along those lines, and that's, that's wonderful. But folks, if I could get every marriage or everyone who potentially will be married one day, to understand that if we will see the relationship and appreciate the relationship between Christ and His church, and if both husband and wife are willing to be those kinds of people, I'm not saying there'll never be problems, there'll never be difficult days, but I will absolutely, 100% guarantee you, a marriage will improve over time. Because God's plan is always the best. And that has been His plan 
and it will be His plan. I've struggled all week, I'll tell you, with how to transition from a lesson on marriage into the Lord's invitation. Except to say, simply look at that picture. And I know it's not historically accurate. I know there were three crosses, and I know it's probably a little higher here. I understand all of that. But just look at that picture for a moment. And consider the words we sometimes sing. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There are no stars in the sky. And a sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. That's how much not just a husband should love his wife. That's how much Christ loved you. Not just humanity. You. The only question left for me to ask is, have you responded in kind? Have you realized what he did and returned the love to him in obedience? I suppose most in this room tonight understand the plan of salvation. Not many people come on a Sunday night who don't. But just in case you've never heard it before, you haven't heard it in a while, all God asks us to do is believe that the one who went to the cross, really really was and is His Son. To turn from sin, to confess Him as Lord and Savior, and then be baptized. That's where we uh, contact the blood that He shed on that cross in the waters of baptism. When we come out of those waters, we're a Christian, a new creature. As Paul would write, old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you've never done that, take care of that tonight. As I said, I assume most of, most of us in this room who are old enough have, have done that. Maybe, maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's just yourself. There's something, there's something in your life that's keeping you from looking at that. You know the love that's there. You know what Christ did. But for some reason, I haven't been living in a way that's returning that love in kind. And tonight's the night to change that reality. Tonight's the night to let God change that by coming to Him and asking for forgiveness and encouragement to move forward. To let those sins go and leave them at the cross and allow Him to forgive. Whatever your need is tonight, we invite you to come. We stand and sing to encourage you.